FASC and OICTS should design procurement bans that target the sectors, networks, and use cases where breaches present the greatest risks to national security and ensure these regulations do not impose unnecessary compliance costs on businesses, government agencies, and other organizations. Welcome to CyberCast, decoding today's cyber issues. I'm Alexander Bolova, production lead at CIO Media and Research, and today we have an interview with Jack Corrigan, Senior Research Analyst at the Center for Security and Emerging Technology at Georgetown University. As agencies look to incorporate more commercial technology in their operations, cybersecurity threats can't be ignored. For years, U.S. leaders have warned that ICTS produced by certain Chinese companies may present cybersecurity risks. Hardware and software and commercial technology can pose problems for IT offices throughout agencies if dangerous components are involved. Earlier this month, CSET senior researcher Jack Corrigan testified in front of the U.S.-China Economic and Security Review Commission about the risks associated with some Chinese manufactured information and communications technology and services. For this episode of CyberCast, Jack Corrigan spoke with managing editor Ross John Fortune about the ways that regulations and C-suite government IT leaders can mitigate these risks. Let's take a listen now. Jack Corrigan is a senior research analyst at Georgetown University's Center for Security and Emerging Technology, where he focuses on the United States innovation landscape, the flow of domestic and international tech talent, and national competitiveness. He recently testified in front of the U.S.-China Economic and Security Review Commission about technology's role in the U.S.-China international great global competition, the so-called global power competition. Jack? Welcome to the show. It's great to be here, Ross. Thanks for having me. So you testified about China, Chinese technology, and security risks, things like that. What are the cybersecurity risks of things like information and communications technology and services that are produced by Chinese firms? How are they dangerous to government systems? Yeah. So kind of zooming out, like national security leaders have been voicing their concerns about Chinese manufactured ICTS for, for a while now. The kind of specific cybersecurity risks are, are, are pretty context dependent. It depends on the, the type of technology, where it's deployed, how it's deployed, um, and other factors. But, but generally, the risk here is that ICTS manufactured by certain Chinese companies may contain backdoors or other vulnerabilities that effectively allow Chinese actors to gain unauthorized access to uh, the networks where this equipment is, is deployed. So effectively, uh, you know, this tech can act as like a conduit for, for espionage or, or, or data theft or you know, some of these other nefarious activities. And this, this concern has really grown in recent years as the, as the Chinese government has enacted a variety of laws to, to kind of more closely tie the Chinese private sector to um, to the government's intelligence apparatus. So under a, a 2017 national security law, basically Chinese companies are, are legally compelled to, to assist with, with um, the, the government's intelligence activities. So that's kind of the that's kind of the broad risk. Um, in terms of of you know, but again, these risks are very context dependent. So um, I would say that that while they've talked about risks broadly, national security leaders have not offered a ton of like specific information on how specific technologies in specific situations can can introduce specific threats. 
there's been some reporting around uh, Huawei equipment. Uh, Huawei equipment was was implicated in a uh, kind of years long spying operation where the Chinese government was spying on uh, the African Union headquarters. There was a, an FBI report uh, that came out fairly recently, or that was reported on fairly recently, that that, that was talking about how uh, Huawei equipment deployed near. U.S. military bases in the Midwest could be used to, to intercept or potentially disrupt like very sensitive military communications. Um, so th those are, I mean, some specific examples of, of the risks that's posed here. But again, like in general, a lot of the conversation about the, the risks here is very broad, very abstract. The Huawei stuff has been in the news for a fairly long time. I know at places like RSA and things like that, it's always part of it. There's sanctions. There's some real conversation around that particular uh, firm. Is it different in case of hardware or software? I mean, as far as security risk, I imagine it's pretty much one and the same. It's it, That's the sense that I get. Um, again, I'm not, a, I'm not a technical guy, so this is a bit outside my, my area of expertise. And I think that the, the kind of lack of transparency and clarity around the specific risks, be it hardware risks, software risks, et cetera, is, is kind of... Um, Adds, adds kind of a layer of fog to this. Like the, I, I think that the, I get the sense that the risks are the same, but I imagine that again, it's pretty. It's the specific risks that a specific piece of equipment poses are pretty are pretty context dependent. Certainly depends on again if they're near a military base or something like that. There's different roles there, different things. But in your testimony, you talked a little bit about the Federal Acquisition Security Council as far as removing ICTS tech that can be dangerous from government networks. How does that work? What can uh, the Federal Acquisition Security Council do? How can they be part of the solution? Yeah. So the the Federal Acquisition Security Council or, or FASC was created under a, a 2018 law. It's one of the it's one of the government bodies that has the authority to to regulate the use of, of foreign technology um, in US networks. It's a, it's an interagency body that, um, from what I gather, effectively acts as a clearinghouse for all kinds of um, you know information, threat intelligence, that sort of thing, to be able to identify the risks that diff different technologies pose in different situations. So CISA acts as kind of like a clearing body where you know information from the intelligence community, from from different federal agencies, from the private sector can kind of come in. They just they share that that information. That information is analyzed, and then the the FASC is really there to kind of issue mitigation strategies. So those could come in two forms. Um, there's exclusion orders, which is basically like agencies are not allowed to buy or use a particular piece of technology, um, and then removal orders, which is agencies would be required to remove any any equipment that that it's been identified as presenting a national security risk. Um, so again, so this authority applies only to federal networks. Um, it's been in place for a while. Uh, again, the FASC was created under a 2018 law, but they have yet to issue any orders. It, I, it, there hasn't been a lot of information released about kind of what's been going on behind the scenes, but there is there is some evidence that they seem to be moving forward in, in, in kind of their, their internal processes. Uh, back in December, there was a notice that that contractors need to start checking SAM.gov to, to see um, any fast orders that that have come out and, and that they might have to comply with. So uh, assuming things get up and running relatively quickly, they can be an important part of the solution. And I think that if I could just step out a little more broadly, going beyond federal networks, the FASC is going to really have this kind of like unique insight into the threat landscape um, and how it's changing. And um, I think the more information they could kind of disseminate to the public, um, the better. Obviously, a lot of the intelligence that they're they're looking at um, can't be released publicly, but whatever information is out there, um, 
the more that they could kind of communicate the risk to the public, um, the more it could kind of raise public awareness of, of some of these risks. And it would allow people to, you know, kind of proactively start doing this stuff as opposed to waiting for um, some, you know, them uh, for them to be obligated to do so under some kind of regulation. Well, that sort of brings up the interplay between the sort of public and these networks. Obviously, there are a lot of public servants who have AYOD, and particularly over the last four years, that has been a big part of it. So where does that interplay kind of work as far as cyber hygiene, something we talk a lot about? How can that be part of this conversation about risks posed uh, by this tech? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, 100%. I think that... um... I think that the cyber hygiene aspect is, is really important um, and, and, and something that often gets kind of under, not under discussed, but I think when we're talking about, when we're talking about foreign technology and, you know, in a lot of cases like banning foreign technology because of perceived cybersecurity risks, there's not always a recognition that, that those, those bans are one lever that can be used to address these risks and they won't, they're, they're not, they're not perfect. Um, so we've seen, you know, we've seen Chinese actors uh, gain unauthorized access to government networks in a variety of ways that don't involve, um, you know, Huawei equipment or some other piece of, of Chinese manufactured technology. I think the the recent Microsoft Exchange hack, where 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 Chinese actors stole, you know, tens of thousands of emails from from the State Department, from Commerce Department, other organizations, like that's a great example. Um, you know. Government doesn't want to ban Microsoft on its networks, but but it can be it it, it can be used to to gain gain this access. So I think, kind of when you're when you're looking holistically, these procurement bans can serve you know serve a role. Um, but I think the general cyber hygiene, um, you know, regular software updates, multi-factor authentication, strong passwords, like this stuff is really critical and in the grand scheme, like relatively low lift. Um, and I think that those those types of things should be prioritized alongside. Um, any procurement bans that might come out from the FASC or other other organizations. So your testimony cited the 2019 NDAA and the Commerce Department rules as examples of prophylactic measures against these kind of cybersecurity threats, these intrusions via uh, malevolent software and hardware that originated from China. So how do you strengthen these measures? What are the limits of them? How can they work in this melange of trying to keep things safer? Yes, that's a great question. So I'll kind of I'll, I'll start with just kind of a broad overview of of what these different measures do, and then talk about how they can be strengthened. So so with the the 2019 NDAA, one of the provisions in it basically banned federal agencies and their contractors from using uh, technologies from from five Chinese companies. So those are uh, Huawei, ZTE, Hikvision, Dahua, and Hytera Communications. And this you know this this law was was passed kind of when the when there was a lot of rec- like a lot of kind of like uh, emerging recognition um, within the federal government that that foreign technology could be used to, you know, potentially uh, gain unauthorized access to networks, um, you know, cause all kinds of ca- cause all kinds of mayhem. So it was, and I think that the, I think that the passage of the law like helped raise that awareness as well. Um, it was one of the first kind of government wide procurement bans, and but I think that 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 today uh, the law isn't really isn't really sufficient for for addressing the risks, and the reason there is because it's incredibly rigid. Um, so this is a this is a, a this is statute adding or subtracting a company from from the list will require an act of Congress, and as we know, Congress doesn't always move in a timely fashion. Um, so I think that 
uh, kind of going forward, what we want to do is prioritize these more uh, flexible, broad um, executive branch authorities that that are already out there. And and you had mentioned the Commerce Department. Um, there is a there is a authority that they have under the it's called is based on this executive order from 2019 called the ICTS rule. Um, and basically, what that does is allow the Commerce Department to block or roll back any type of transaction for particular pieces of technology between any person, business, or government in the U.S. and an entity that is uh, affiliated with with a, a handful of, of different foreign adversaries. One of them is China. Um, so, in effect, this is like it's 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 the FASC order uh, or the FASC authority, but for every U.S. network. So that and it's and it's flexible enough, it's broad enough where where you know this could this could these orders can be adapted and updated to to kind of address changes in the threat landscape. I think that uh, going forward, like this is going to be one of the things that needs to be prioritized, like the 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 FASC and then the Commerce Department's Office of of ICTS. Um, as far as shortcomings, though, uh, I think the like the big challenge here there there's there's been discussions about like tinkering with the with the authorities and and some of the the laws that kind of like underwrite the the ICTS rule but i think that the real challenge here is going to be implementation um the threat landscape is is constantly changing um and make, doing that analysis like appropriately targeting and developing orders defending those orders in court these things are very contentious and it's 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 likely that you'll see companies you know appeal or, or or sue the government whenever they're they're subject to one of these orders and then and then enforcing them kind of across the country this is just going to be very very resource intensive um so i think that that's going to be kind of the big challenge going forward and um this is kind of true for the fasc as well uh but at, on, a, on a smaller scale because it's only applying to, to federal networks but i think with with that context it's kind of again important we, we talked about it. it's important to kind of recognize like the limitations of these orders they are one tool in a toolkit that the government has um, to address these risks. The, you know, the truth of the matter is we spent, you know, 30 plus years uh, offshoring really critical parts of the global technology supply chain to China. And you can't just you can't just snap your fingers and undo that in an instant. The, a lot of times uh, there are few alternatives available to this Chinese tech. Uh, a lot of times those alternatives are, are very, very expensive relative to the Chinese tech. So when you when you ban one of these products, you know, you are raising IT procurement costs for state and local government agencies, private companies, which are often incredibly resource constrained. So kind of going forward, I think one of the things that, 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 that federal policymakers could focus on or should focus on is targeting these orders to the areas where potential breach presents the greatest risks to national security. DHS critical infrastructure sectors are kind of a good place to start. I think you know government networks, Defense industrial base, energy communication sector, like these are these are really critical areas where where that additional cost of complying with the procurement ban is 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 probably worth the the or sorry it's the benefit that you would get from complying with a procurement ban is is certainly worth the cost. But I think that these costs need to be a factor when when policymakers are are targeting these orders, whether it be through the FAST or through OICTS or some other some other mechanism. Yeah, I know talking to. Uh... Folks from the Federal Acquisition Service, you know, the Better Contracting Initiative is a big thing that the White House has been going through, talking about making sure that money is spent well on, particularly on technology procurement through GSA. And yeah, I think it, it would be fair to say you don't want to skimp on things for 
that pose risks to national security in these cases. So we'll end on, on just the general, how can particularly the, the people in our audience, how can people in the offices and CIOs, how can people in the CTOs offices and things like that, how can the IT people and the tech people in government identify these risks? What can they do to counter Chinese ambitions? Like how can, what to do going forward? How can they news you can use their way through this? Yeah, no, it's a great, it's a great question. And it's, it's very complicated, like it, it which I know is not, not a great answer. I mean, it's, it's a really complicated, it's a really complicated problem. I think that, again, focusing on like very basic cyber hygiene is, a, is always a great place to start. I think when you're, when you're looking more at like, when you're looking specifically at this, at this foreign tech, first you want, I mean, you want to understand the threat landscape for your, for your own agency, for your own office. Um, a lot of times these, uh, you know, Chinese actors at least are, are, are focused on accumulating like technology transfer so that, you know, uh, gaining access to networks to steal IP, steal trade secrets, do other things that, and, and then feed those into their kind of domestic technology industry to make their own companies more, more globally competitive. So that's, that's, all, that's kind of like a, a target uh, or that's a big goal of theirs. And then Again, it's just a lot of like intelligence collection type stuff. So like the Microsoft hack is a great example of that, where they're just, they're just hoovering up all these emails from government employees. Um, they don't seem as interested as some other actors in uh, kind of causing these major disruptions um, to like critical infrastructure sectors and trying to steal money in a lot of cases, like you've seen North Korea do sometimes. Um, so I think kind of recognizing like where, when you're, where, where in your agency, where in your office, um, kind of what are the what are the what would be the top targets, and then when you identify those 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 potential targets, you want to um, be really I mean just be really careful about the types of technology like equipment um, and software that you're introducing into those networks. You want to be uh, like a lot of uh, you want to be very careful. You want to do a lot of analysis of your supply chains. You want to see where the tech is coming from. You want to know. Um, the different brand names that some of these companies that have been identified as as, nas as presenting national security risks, like what are the different brand names they use? Like, uh, I believe it's Dahua, the, the company that was in the Section 889 ban. They sell a lot of equipment under the Lorex brand name. So just, just kind of understanding that supply chain and where the risks might be and doing that analysis. I think, I think even just having that information would be, it would make, allow you to make like more, more informed procurement decisions. Beyond just general kind of supply chain analysis, I think that that taking the FASC and OICTS orders seriously is 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 good. And by that I mean like in a lot of cases, you'll be legally obligated to take them seriously. But don't view it necessarily as a box checking exercise. Like really go the extra mile to to make sure that like you are you are scrutinizing your supply chain, you're auditing your own networks um, to make sure that this stuff isn't there. I think that's a great place to start. And then also just, you know, the if you identify a threat yourself, um, I think sending that information up the chain is is a great is a great thing to do. Uh, the FASC uh, takes in a lot of information from a lot of different sources. Um, so certainly if you're with anywhere within the federal government, that information, if you can send that information into the FASC through CISA or, or other avenues, that would just be that'd be very useful, and that will help inform their decisions going forward. Yeah, there's certainly no shortage of ways to report just within CISA. So that's CISA, CISA definitely has that capability. Well, Jack, thanks so much for uh, being on the show with us. Thanks for having me.
Cybercast, along with GovCast and HealthCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. To explore our content, visit our website, govciomedia.com. Keep an eye out for new episodes every Tuesday. And if you like what you heard, leave us a review on the podcast platform of your choice. Have a topic you want us to discuss? Contact us at newsletter at govcio.com.